Hey guys, what is up? It's Rao here today, coming to you with the Better You Project. Uh, today's guest that I had on uh, last week was Anita. Uh, Anita is a good friend of mine, and um, you know I really enjoyed having this chat with her. Uh, it was very insightful. It, it went pretty deep, and um, you know, yeah, it was just it was just a good conversation, good vibes, uh, and I. Hey guys, what is up? It is Raul here today. You are listening to The Better You Project. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. Uh, on today's episode, I am interviewing my friend Anita. Uh, Anita works as a hypnotherapist and a life coach. Um, she's an expert in you know therapy and she helps people uh, sort out, I guess, their life issues through different versions of different types of therapy. Uh, this conversation got pretty deep, so if you are interested in that sort of stuff, um, yeah, make sure to tune in and keep listening. Uh, we talked about all different types of things regarding mental health, her just her life, um, you know, her previous experience competing in Muay Thai, uh, which I was pretty interested in knowing a bit about. Um, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting convo, and it is an interesting person. If you'd like to follow her, follow her. Uh, you can do so at keep moving forward underscore Anita A N I T A Pagnini. I'm just double checking that to make sure that I'm saying it correctly. Bear with me, guys. Yeah, Pagnani. So Anita P A G N A N I uh, on Instagram. Uh, give her a follow if you enjoyed today's episode. Anyway, I'll stop chatting to you guys and. I'll let you get on with the show. Take care and peace. Uh, yeah, like most people when they first hear themselves, they don't, they feel like that's not them. Mm-hmm. So what's your first take of hearing your own voice? Uh, look, a lot of my um, relationship, my partner works in the mines and um, it's just started as a phone relationship so I'm used to hearing my own voice a lot, I'm used to seeing my own voice on FaceTime and he tells me I have a really nice phone voice which is nice so coming here I was very excited about it and I like the sound of my own voice, I've done a bit of public speaking and uh, there was a time when I was a lot younger where I didn't like my voice and I hear a lot of people say that about their own even if their voice is great so just learning from that I think no Got a great voice. Yeah, of course. Everyone does. I think that's the thing. Like, um, people really. Uh, I remember the f- I used to be a musician. I am a musician, but I was actively a musician a few years ago. And I remember the first time I ever recorded myself singing, I was like petrified. I mean, I'm not a very good singer, but I was also just like, oh my god, I don't sound like that. And then I just realised most people don't recognise themselves when they hear themselves. So. Wow, you're a musician. That's cool. Yeah, actually, mu- yeah, music's probably the thing I've done the most um, mm-hmm. in my life. Um, but I don't like things that I... Music probably is one of the few things that have come naturally to me. And I, I don't enjoy things that are not challenges. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just decided to... I probably have never really been that inclined for it just because it's probably come um, naturally to me. Wow. Um, that's probably the only thing I'm ever going to flex on. Um, <laughs> it's a cool flex. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Anita, um, welcome to the podcast. Thank how, you. How are you today? I'm doing so well. So excited. and I'm, I'm really happy. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, look, I wanted to get you on for lots of reasons. One, I just think you're like a pretty cool person. And, um, you know, like I, I, when I first met you, I just really liked um, your energy and your vibe. Um, and I could just, I don't know, sometimes you can just kind of relate to people in like a, 
uh, maybe unspoken sort of way. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for noticing. No, that's all right. Uh, what's your take on energies and things like that in people's vibes? I'm interested. Okay. Uh, hmm. Just like you personally. Well, personally, I've always been someone who, uh, even as a child, just really liked people. Um, and just, I guess, saw the best in them. So if someone would start saying something not very nice about someone um, all throughout childhood as a teenager, as an adult, I'd find that really difficult to take and almost take offence to it like it was happening to me. I, I'd have no idea who this person is. I, um, but I, I don't like... I, I always give people the benefit of the doubt and I really um, like people. And um, so... In terms of energies, I think um, I'm very sensitive to to anything that's negative, very empathic to it. But then, on the contrary, um, anything that's really positive, I just get so much joy and feeling out of it. And uh, and also, I think I think just being that um, empathic or intuitive to it, um, it's really important. I've learned just over the last few years, and when you know, life. Uh, has its challenges and difficulties it's important to I think um, protect yourselves because we are more sensitive when things aren't going well in our lives to what's going on around us um, but I also allow myself to if something really great's happening if it's a nice day if people sitting at the table next to me are having a laugh to feed off it so I think um, I also think uh, that that's in terms of a personal thing but for everybody else uh, I think um <sighs> You know, they need to trust themselves a lot more. There was a time in my life where I didn't trust myself. Um, and um, and know, what, energy what, is real. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, you know, people always, well, not always, but you, you hear things like, oh, trust trust your intuition and and trust your energies. And if it doesn't feel right, it's not. And if it, you know, feels good, it is. And, um, and there was a time where I just couldn't resonate with that. And, um, and I just do think it's really important, you know, even if something doesn't feel right, not to be so scared of it and not to, not to judge the situation, not to judge the person in front of you and not to judge yourself for it. And, um, um, and I do encourage people to trust that, you know, we have more than five senses, you know, hear, see, smell, taste, touch. Uh, there's something there's something else that we that exists that um, we can't explain science can probably explain it but um you, we it's okay for us to trust our intuition trust our gut and however that comes up to us in our bodies or in our feeling um, and, how much you know. do you go by gut like when yeah how much do you let that dictate things that you do in life or, or how do you navigate around that uh, I allow it to now but I feel comfortable trusting myself because I do give people the benefit of the doubt. Like if I lived in, um, if I was really judgmental, that would be a very uncomfortable uh, energy or feeling for me to have. Uh, so I do, I do trust myself. And, you know, even the thing is, say I'm in a position, and I, I don't even have an example for this, but in a position where um, it doesn't feel right and I feel very uncomfortable, um, I probably I would trust that I think, but um, um, I feel that uh, I trust myself to to trust my intuition because I always see divine and <laughs> beauty or, or the good in someone instead of the bad. Like, I don't really judge people. Yeah, okay. I love people. That's <laughs> okay. I have so much to go on that. Just give me one second. So I think it's really interesting um, what you're mentioning in relation to you know, trusting your intuition or not. Um, 
there was a thing I read, uh, read I probably saw years ago. It, it was probably related to, um, it might have been like part of like a self-defense, like the psychology of self-defense, um, like not in the sense of like combat, but more in the sense of uh, just things that you should be aware of when you're just like out and about, like in maybe like late at night in the city and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that this person was talking about, um, I think his name's Tony Blair, he has this thing called the spear system, was that most people before they end up in a bad situation, like um, like before they get assaulted or mugged or something like that, like mm-hmm. most people tend to report that they had a feeling that something bad was going to happen, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really interesting uh, in the sense of like sometimes people can kind of sense negative things. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, um, I think when people are very uh, successful at an endeavor or at something, they also, it's almost like they have this feeling about themselves, like that they like are meant for like greatness or like mm-hmm. or good things come their way. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, what do you think in your life taught you to, to, to go with your intuition? Um, that's a really great question. I don't think there was an obvious tipping point for me. I remember uh, just living life day to day and there was a difficult time in my life uh, that kind of, well, took me, you know, left field. I didn't even know it was coming and then all of a sudden um, – any, you know, I call it the dark night of the soul. I don't know if you've heard of that expression, but it was it was horrible. You know, the emotions that I was going through at the time, um, I could feel physically, and you know, all the therapy I was getting and whatnot. Um, I, I think I just slowly learnt to, and uh, and the therapy was, you know, I don't necessarily. I'm, I'm all about therapy. You know, I, I get therapy. I'm a therapist. I, I love getting therapy. Even not necessarily. You don't have to be going through a hard time and wait until. Um, you know, uh, your life's, you know, in a really, really bad place before you get it. If you go and, and get therapy when you're in a good place, then that's when you start to learn and that's when you start to create. I'm, I'm all about it. But uh, I think uh, what therapy did teach me and uh, my best friend, we went through a difficult time together and it was such a beautiful, divine way to bond, um, just learning um, from sources outside myself to trust myself because it was never, I feel, something that came naturally to me. Uh, not one thing happened to me for me to go, yep, Anita, you, you know, because I still mess up sometimes, you know. Sometimes I think, oh, I should have seen that coming. I, I could have done things a certain way. But uh, but it was just, it was help from outside myself, from, you know, support that helped me to trust my intuition. And, and yeah, that's... yeah. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so uh, Muay Thai, that's big, that was a big, that is big, was a big part of your life? Yes, absolutely. Um, when uh, I was a lot younger, um, let's say I finished high school, I'd always really been into martial arts. Um, I liked, you know, martial arts movies and whatnot, but uh, I grew up in the outback Australia and I went to, um, in Kibapiti and I went to boarding school and then as an 18-year-old woman living on my own in Adelaide, going to university and, you know, drinking a lot and um, going out a lot until all hours of the morning, um, I thought, wow, you know, it would be really great to um, learn how to defend myself and that's not a great motivation. It's a very real motivation motivation of wanting to learn how to fight to defend yourself and um but uh and but that was what helped you know, made me start Muay Thai and if I, to be honest Joel, like you talk about music being naturally to you so you were more inclined to go something that towards something that uh, was more difficult I found the movement of Muay Thai quite easy I felt like a natural straight up and I really liked that I liked that it was easy and I thoroughly enjoyed the movement so eventually I, I trained I trained a lot and it became a fun thing not necessarily I completely forgot that I 
started it to learn how to fight and defend myself in case I ever got into a, a bad position. Um, and then, yeah, it just, it really simply evolved. It was never, I think, you know, I just started talking to friends, like, oh, it would be cool to fight. Oh, why don't you ask the tra trainer? And like, oh, yeah, okay. And then before I knew it, um, I just I started fighting and it was the biggest part of my life for such a long time. My life revolved around it. My finances revolved around it. Um, you know, opportunities like travel opportunities or work opportunities I didn't take just so I could fight Muay Thai. And that was a long time ago. My last fight was probably in 2010. And yeah. Um, how long did, were you competing for? I competed for, uh, it was under 10 years, um, but quite a few years. I was, you know, um, travelled uh, nationally and internationally to fight and um, yeah so it was under 10 years it was actually a car accident uh, getting rear-ended so nothing crazy but it was a car accident that stopped me from taking things to the next level like things were getting great I was getting a sponsorship and my last fight was on Fox um, Fox Sport um, and so I, I loved it like nothing would have stopped me from um, continuing but then the injury happened and then I had a child and it's still um, you know, I do jiu-jitsu now, and that was a pretty big transition. It took me a long time. Um, you know, Kate, your trainer, being um, one of my um, oldest friends, uh, you know, we were such good friends, and I, um, uh, it would have been, it was just so much, so much easier for me to do Muay Thai, and then eventually I made the transition to do jiu-jitsu. Um, not like Muay Thai, I find the movements very difficult. I don't know what you think, but I find Jiu-Jitsu very, very difficult. Yeah, no, I find, <laughs> I find Jiu-Jitsu extremely difficult. Yeah, the movements don't feel naturally natural to me and, uh, you know, submissions and positions. I feel a lot better now. It's taken quite a few years to get to this point, but, um, yeah, I find Jiu-Jitsu really hard. But Muay Thai was, you know, I still love it. I still go to all the fight shows. I still know all the competitors in Adelaide and across Australia and I still thoroughly enjoy it but yeah Muay Thai is a really brutal sport like it's very intense it's, it's interesting to hear you say that like um you know you probably found that coming easier to you than jiu-jitsu yeah uh I guess so um you know fight sport is fight sport I find jiu-jitsu to be quite um brutal for me maybe because I'm a lot smaller than everybody and there's yeah. no respite even if for example my skills might be a tiny tiny bit better than someone if they're bigger than me I still I still find it very difficult in roles but uh yeah but uh, I remember meeting a, an MMA fighter, I wish I remembered his name, it was a long time ago, and he gave me a really interesting perspective. He said that he finds um, Muay Thai harder than um, he did mixed martial arts and boxing, and he said Muay Thai is the hardest because of the shin damage. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's all I th whenever whenever <laughs> I, I, I did a very small amount of Muay Thai, like mm -hmm. a lot of years ago, and that's all I, that's all I think about, just my shins hurting. Yeah, and that's it. I, you know, I did boxing after I stopped fighting, um, when my daughter was really young and a baby and I couldn't believe boxing, you know, and the amount of hits you get to the head. I remember when I first started boxing, I'd, and this is uh, fight training boxing, you know, anyone can box and fight training is a different, completely different, but I going home after training and having a three-day headache because I was got hit in the head so often um, and then eventually I'd go home with a black eye and I didn't know how that happened and it was just the conditioning. So then, you know, all of a sudden boxing was harder because Muay Thai at least when you're getting hit you're getting hit all over your body in boxing you know that's happening too but it's mainly head damage and uh but I, I don't know like I, I guess it is brutal but yeah, Muay Thai we could call it brutal but it's it's also beautiful when I see a good fight it looks like dancing to me you know technical people and going to the you know drums or you know music playing in the background um 
Yeah, I guess I never looked at it like it was brutal. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, like, and, and it, it definitely, I think all fights, for, I mean, anyone who's yeah. a martial artist, like, there's a, no. there's, there's definitely a beauty in, um, yeah. in, in fighting and, um, you know, uh, especially when you see two people who are really good at Muay Thai, like, it can be so technical and there's, yeah. you know, so many different variables. Um, you know, it's it's so interesting. All the striking sports have their unique thing about them that makes them, like... Completely agree. You know, they're so, you know, like... Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. You know, boxing has its entire, you know, set of intricacies, yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, Muay Thai has its own entire set of intricacies, uh, kickboxing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what drew you to Muay Thai versus, like, maybe another t- type of striking sport? Oh, wow, that's a great question following through with this because I, um, I studied, um, I did my bachelor's degree at Flinders Uni and I wanted to do martial arts and I looked at all the options and there were so many. They were, like, 10 and Muay Thai just happened to be um, the one that fit in with my timetable. And I really, really liked it. I had a really good first experience, um, you know, first class. And uh, some of it, you know, they have at the universities, they have open days where all the sports um, give their, um, you know, demonstrations and whatnot. And I remember seeing Muay Thai and the guy uh, doing, like, hitting the pads with Paul Slowinski, um, an old name that um, a lot of fight fans um, will probably remember. Um he was hitting the pads and I thought, oh, no, I'm not doing Muay Thai. That guy's massive. Like, I don't, you know, I don't, it looked almost a bit, not intimidating, but it just looked full on and not me. And then when I tried it, it, it was it was honestly just by chance. Yeah, and I'm so glad that it happened that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, um, how is, uh, I guess I'm just going to relate this to what I'm doing right now, which mm-hmm. is jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, jiu-jitsu is lots of, like, you you get shown things and you it takes like some time for your brain to process like mm-hmm. the technique does that make sense like it's Absolutely. lots of like i feel like the absorption of knowledge through jiu-jitsu is uh, you know like you need to roll so much to like get your body to absorb yes. like i almost think of it as like there's the knowledge and then there's like what your body absorbs and they're almost like two different things yeah um did you find that uh, muay thai was a similar experience no, not at all. And I probably still don't. You know, I've got a lot of years of Muay Thai experience. But um, when I think about Muay Thai versus Jiu Jitsu, and Jiu Jitsu versus probably most martial arts out there, is um, that, you know, Muay Thai, you can start it and you can do it. And you don't have to be very good at it. Like, you can hit the bag, you can kick the pads, you can, you know, punch. And even if your technique is not perfect you're still doing it and even really successful fighters aren't you know Muay Thai stylists um they look more kickboxing or more k1 or you know there's different um people fight um you know this skill set doesn't have to be perfect in order for us to do it even at uh, I feel an elite level whereas jiu-jitsu you you're not doing jiu-jitsu unless if you're, you're doing the technique 100% right and that, that's what I find I don't know if that's what you find but um and also it just takes so long to be a black belt what it takes 10 years to get a black belt so there are only five belts for anyone who doesn't know jiu-jitsu it starts at white and blue purple brown and then the uh, you know messiah sorcery black belts that are out there and um and so jiu-jitsu is incredibly technical. You know, you can move your wrist 45 degrees and snap someone's neck or something. You know, like it's just, it's so, so technical. There is so much to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I find um, Muay Thai just to be so much easier. And when a lot of jiu-jitsu practitioners, you know, I have conversations like, oh, my God, Muay Thai, it's so hard. I just think, actually, it's not. It's so much easier than jiu-jitsu. Yeah, isn't, it, isn't it interesting how, we, like, different people will find different things you know it's funny like you say the whole being squashed like in jiu-jitsu thing yeah. like 
See, I don't, I really don't mind that at all. I actually kind of find it quite comforting. <laughs> um, you're one of the strongest people I know like, physically. So. But yeah, like I just, but even like when you're being squished or you're being mm -hmm. choked, like I, that doesn't feel like bad pain to me, mm -hmm. like a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, whereas like, you know, I just, I don't enjoy being hit. Wow. I've never, no one's ever actually explained it to me that way. So thank you. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> I it's understand just, now. Yeah. It's, it's just interesting um, mm -hmm. how, yeah. Uh, did you, uh, did you? Uh, did you grow up with much violence in your life? Um, did you no, grow up fighting at all? No, not at all. I, I grew up uh, in country, um, outback Kubapedi, and there wasn't a lot of sports or any sports for me, actually. Uh, I think they, they introduced judo for a few years and I wasn't allowed to do it because I was a girl. And that's a lot of my upbringing. You know, my dad's Italian, my mum's Filipino, so certain things, uh, rules, especially from my mum, I'd say, it's like, no, you're a girl, you know, you can't do this, you're a girl, and, you know, you can't play with Lego, you're a girl, you can't do judo. So, you know, it was funny moving away to Adelaide and doing martial arts, like, yeah, I'll show you, you know, ended up being, you know, being in, a, in, a, in a fight sports. Um, so not at all. Um, I, I used to, I have an older brother, and um, I, I think about this often, you know, uh, I just adored him, um, and still do, and he's four years older than me, so I was the annoying little sister, but he used to love, um, you know, Van Damme and watch martial arts and whatever Ant did, I did. Um, so, you know, Ant learned how to touch type, so I learned how to touch type, and I just wanted to do anything he did, and it just felt like it, it probably even continued on to when I finished high school and started Muay Thai. Um, it's like, yeah, I like, I like martial arts. I'm, I'm sure I do, even if it was heavily influential, but no, no fighting. I think uh, where I grew up in Kibapiti, there is a very high crime rate per capita there were you know grew up in the hood there were lots of fights and um you know it was um what was that what was what's middle uh would you was Cooper Peter considered considered middle Australia uh yeah central yeah, Australia yeah so it's, what's um, middle thousand, Australia like yeah yeah um a thousand kilometers north it's very very isolated and um you know the closest town is 250 kilometers away which is Glendandle it's like a service oh, station wow. you know it's uh it's very it's you know, it's a beautiful landscape and the land is so beautiful, um, but it is very isolated. So there's um, high unemployment rate and uh, not a lot of, I don't think anyone I went to school with in Kibapiti finished high school. So a lot of people have to move away for certain opportunities that, um, you know, if they want to move their life in a certain direction and they don't have those opportunities in Kibapiti. So What's the main sort of industry in Kibapiti? Well, it was opal mining. So uh, opal's a beautiful gemstone. And uh, back in the day when I was a lot younger, tourism was huge in Kibapiti. Everyone loved opal. But now um, it is very expensive to opal mine. You know, um, it, you need license to get explosives. You know, diesel and fuel is very expensive to mine. So a lot of people aren't opal mining there's not as much opal to find it's not as precious as, like, I guess as it once was people aren't paying uh not locally I know overseas like in you know, countries like China they're really into opal but now it's it is a very you know difficult industry to be part of so it is a town it does exist it has a hospital it has a school but um I don't even think opal mining is uh, a big you know, part of Cooperpedia. I know they have mines just outside of Cooperpedia, so they've got quite a few fly and fly out um, who are based at the mines or in Cooperpedia. But uh, yeah, it's just a town. Let that truck stop at. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you said you went to university at Flinders. What did mm -hmm. you study there? I studied um, a Bachelor of uh, Social Studies. Yeah, and um, I got a job in admin um, straight after I finished my bachelor's degree, and um, eventually I, I loved my. I worked in admin at um, the university. 
um, that eventually when my daughter was born, I went back to work and I thought um, this is a whole lot of stress but not um, a whole lot of extra money. So I decided to quit and just be poor and have an easier lifestyle. But then that led me to um, well, becoming a counsellor and a, a, like a life coach, which is what I do now. That's um, awesome. Now, I really want to talk about that. I guess what yeah. – tell me more about that transition. What kind of led you to that calling? Uh, well, I um, I started seeing a hypnotherapist um, and it was for overeating. I've never um, had a great relationship with food in the sense that I really, really like it and I don't feel full ever. And, uh, don't, you know, I exercise, yes, and um, genetically I'm not, you know, a, it isn't, it's almost difficult for me to um, put on a lot of weight, but um, it's not good for my gut health, right? So... Uh, uh, I saw a hypnotherapist for it and I loved it so much. You know, I've, I've seen, um, I saw a psychologist uh, in the past um, for, you know, mental health issues and she was amazing and we have great rapport. I, I still send her Christmas cards every year, you know, but then when I went to um, a hypnotherapist, I just felt these huge changes that happened straight away and it was more better suited to my psyche to see someone uh, in that, you know, line of work and then eventually... Um, I booked in for four sessions and eventually I became a hypnotherapist and I did further study like neuro-linguistic programming and timeline therapy and I'm, I'm studying a graduate diploma in psychology now and it, I just kind of fell into it. And I, I also think that being, I was a single mum for a very long time. Um, uh, it was almost an easy transition. So someone who works full-time, who has a lot of financial commitments, um, you know, to change a career, there's more pressure on them. Whereas because I was already you know, didn't have a lot of money, didn't need a lot of money, you know, I was just raising a, a baby um, and living, you know, frivolously and you know, growing my own food and stuff and it was, it was fine, it was kind of, yeah, it was a good lifestyle actually. Um, so transitioning to working into this uh, full-time, you know, the more time I had, the more I was able to work and my business slowly grew and, um, and so that was the transition. There was no pressure to, oh, I need to do this now and get X amount of money now. And I didn't have a job that I needed, that I had to leave in order to to make this my career. And, um, you know, I, I love it. It feels like it's my calling, you know, for, for a long time. Because I, I, I loved it so much. I loved helping people so much and, and uh, counselling people so much. I found it really difficult to accept money to do it. And, uh, you know, to... If and how, how, did you, how, did you, how did you cross that? Because, I mean, mm. one of the main things that I try and do here is interview people about business. And mm -hmm. I know that one of the biggest struggles that I see lots of entrepreneurs go through, especially if they're pursuing their passion as opposed to pursuing something mm -hmm. uh, financially, is... Uh, a lot of people have a bad relationship with money. That's they, right. you know, they associate money with greed, and uh, especially when people are pursuing things they love, they really struggle with the. Well, I would literally do this for free, and now I'm meant to charge, you know, people. Mm. And uh, you know, I've, I've just seen so many friends, and you know, really struggle with that. Um, mm. And uh, you know, I personally, I didn't have that bridge to cross, but I've just seen it so often. So mm -hmm. how do you, how how are meant to people? I guess. Uh, go through that relationship with money? Well, I haven't completely overcome that. So, um, you know, if someone wants to see me with money issues, I get a bit of a, like my heart races a bit and then I just look at it as like, okay, I know I'm happy to do this. Um, so I can, I can help someone or I'd refer them on if I, I felt like there was, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Um, and that, that's honest, an honest thing uh, with me. I, uh, uh, I still do find it, you know, quite difficult. And, um, but earlier on, uh, I actually did a couple of hypnotherapy techniques um, in 
class and just doing further study and, and with friends, just learning, you know, I did so much practical before I, you know, went out there and started charging people. Um, um, I did a session and uh, if my life continued as it was, I would have ended up homeless. And I was like, wow. And I was laughing throughout it because I could see how true it was. If I, you know, give myself away for free, um, I will be homeless. And also um, the way I think, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how other people have overcome that, but another way I did it was just to looking at my values, my business values, my personal values. And um, I wouldn't necessarily say that I... Um, related receiving money with you know with greed but it was more um, just you know worthiness maybe growing up a Catholic and sacrificial lamb and just wanting to help people and I still like really like helping people but um just attaching attaching you know earning money to value so you know value is um, my child for example and that was she's, her name's Julia and she's my uh, top value she's still really young and very dependent on me so okay but what does Julia involve? She involves you know, needing to get educated, uh, feeding her healthy food, uh, giving her opportunities of playing sports. And I can't, she is my top value and I can't do that unless if I have money to back me. So I attach money to, you know, receiving money in an exchange of energy. I'm a very good therapist. Um, so if I attach money to my top value being Julia, then okay, I can receive money now. So again, I still struggle. I think I have more work to do in that area. And I really, I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts, Robo, and I really enjoy uh, when you speak to business owners. It's really, it's been really helpful to me too. Um, but um, that's that's how I personally overcame yeah. it and was able to, you know, charge people, actually charge people, um, not necessarily what I'm worth, um, because I keep, especially through COVID, I fluctuated. My, I dropped my prices right down and. Um, even gave you know, people who were struggling some free sessions. I'm obviously very happy to do that, but that's not sustainable, especially this is my calling and and I am worth it. And always uh, going back to energy and speaking about energy and energy exchange, I do think that, you know, a level of energy exists and if I keep giving and giving and giving, the universe is going to um, receive from the person I give in a different way, like even if they help someone, but it's just a... You know, there's got to be some sort of energy exchange. And if I don't receive someone's energy back, then the universe will take it from that person in a certain way. Does that make sense? I don't know if I could uh, No, you, you, well. you just went into something that I find... Say that, say that part again. Okay. I'm, I'm going to try my best to articulate it. So um, say uh, person A gives a uh, person B something. Yeah. Yep. But person B doesn't give something person A in return, there is no energy exchange there. So that, yeah. so, so person C would come along and receive something from person B. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. It could be a beautiful yeah. thing. It might, might not necessarily be. But um, the uh, giving and receiving, uh, I like the, the, uh, the word receive more than I do with take. So I think that, the, you know, there's everything is an energy exchange. There's enough for everybody. There's enough to give. There's enough to receive. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, I just, um, I think I, I, I like that. Um, I'm just, I'm processing it. If I ever seem quiet on the podcast, it's just me thinking I'm not, I'm not that bright. So I need to like, just, just take some time. Um, okay, no, no, I, I can get around that. Uh, hypnotherapy. So to people who don't um, understand what that is, or maybe uh, conjuring an idea of a magician, <laughs> which is what I always do when I think of that. Uh, could you explain hypnotherapy to people? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for asking that question. You know, um, hypnotherapy, a lot of people uh, look at it, and when they think about hypnotherapy, they do think about magic. They think about, you know, the performance hypnotherapist who help, you know, makes people cluck like a chicken. And, uh, 
and the it's it's really a beautiful you know powerful thing and it's so awesome seeing hypnotherapists on stage and people you know submit and get hypnotized in order to do that but um hypnotherapy always for the longest time um uh was uh, a form of therapy so um and it is, you know, extremely uh, powerful, obviously, because um, you can make people cluck like a chicken. So, but the way we can look at it is that um, everything is hypnotherapy. Like we, when you're watching TV, you're being hypnotized to buy the new supplement or, you know, the new toy for your child or something. And um, and so colors are hypnotic. Uh, conversations with people are hypnotic. Um, I have a question. Yeah. Do you think people, do some people hypnotize themselves? Is that a thing? Uh, well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So self-talk, like the words we use, very, very important. You know, um, like happy to me is different for happy to you. When we talk to ourselves, like, oh, I need, you know, you know like you're so shit at that, or, you know, that is me hypnotising myself and confirming. So um, one way we can hypnotise ourselves is to use words of affirmation or, you know, something like, no, Anita, you're very good, very good, very good. And eventually we can hypnotise ourselves to be that way. And, you know, as children we were hypnotised. Our parents, like you're such a beautiful person, you're such a beautiful person. And then, you know, honestly, like people whose um, parents or, or adults around them, they grow up and they can be, oh, I am a beautiful person. But if a, you know, a child or even an adult gets the negative message, you know, you're so dumb, you know, you're such a waste. And you know, I, I, you know, I counsel a lot of people who had really traumatic childhoods because they were hypnotised to think that they were dumb or hypnotised to think that they were a waste of space or something and so absolutely like we hypnotize ourselves all the time and uh sometimes you know if it's very very ingrained like um like the way hypnosis work is like we have we have you know the constant message of you're done like, you know oh not you sorry like you know the dumb 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 and um and then we think we're dumb and that's a really really big thing in our brain so what hypnosis does it's just like a meditation if you ever meditated in yoga You've you've kind of been hypnotized before, you know. It's not it's not this huge dramatic thing that um, that a lot of people think it is. It's it's simple. It is like meditation. So, what we do to this person who was hypnotized that they were dumb, um, we just you know you relax them, and then the dumb you know is neither here nor there. It's just it's just kind of there in their brain. So then we kind of, we thin it out, and we introduce a new hypnosis. Like you you are smart. You are a good person. You are worthy, and. Uh, and then this, when they're in really a deep meditative state, uh, you know, they, they, it, it, we just, we give that message so much energy so that when they come out of the meditative state, it's there, you know, and the dumb still might be there, like it might have completely disappeared or it still might be there a little bit, but there's a, such this huge, very hypnotic message that we were given. It's like, you are, you are smart and and that's what exists, and that's how a hypno, you know, there are many, many different hypnotherapy techniques, but that's how that works. So every day in our day-to-day lives, hypnotising ourselves, we can do that. But it is easy with assistance, but if we were to put ourselves in a meditation, give ourselves a really deep, strong message and put energy into it about those, you know, positive feelings, like, I'm smart, I'm worthy, and then that becomes truer and truer, and then we've hypnotised ourselves. Yeah, no, I find I find this all so fascinating. Um, I think the conversation that I want to have about you with this, I'll, we'll do it off air because it'll sound too crazy. For people. I, don't, I don't think people are ready for that. Uh, mm, what's time? You mentioned timeline therapy before. Yeah. I've actually I've heard about that before, but I, I don't know what it is. So mm-hmm. please educate me. Uh, well, timeline therapy is um, 
is it's just it's like a it's a it's a technique that we can do, and it's um you know they've done studies uh for, I don't know it was a long time ago really, but there was a, a a war a civil war in Croatia, um like Serbia, um and uh, so then a lot of you know, a lot of people they did a study over there, but it just oh, it just made so much you know, sense um uh, talking about this and explaining timeline therapy in this way so. So um, essentially someone like, a lot of traumatic events, well not a lot, but say something traumatic happens in our, you know, in my life and I'm here to talk to Raul about it and, um, and then I start talking about it and I go there and it was sad, the emotion I felt was sad and then I'm feeling sad and I'm talking to you about sadness and, and uh, the beautiful thing about something like timeline therapy. Uh, for people who are suffering from PTSD, say um, where the study came from in, um, in Croatia, um, is um, uh, when I when we're doing this technique, we're not we're, we're detached from the emotion. So people who have had traumatic events, it's just they're going back into their timeline to where the event happened, but they're flying above it. So this is my timeline in my life. This is where the traumatic event happened. I'm not even in it. I'm floating above it, and actually, I am the day before this traumatic event happened. So this event hasn't even happened yet. So what we do in uh, timeline therapy. Is we are essentially completely detaching ourselves from the memory. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, from the event. Yeah. So we know it happened on our timeline in our life, and it's very obvious. But we aren't even in there. We're floating above it. We're completely detached from it, and the event hasn't even happened yet. So I don't know. This event hasn't happened, and it's um, with guidance. Like we can do this on our own, of course. But um, um, with guidance, you know, we can. We don't go into the event. Like you don't even have to see what's going on in the event. If something happened in a war, or you know, it was very, very traumatic. But this is this is where my issues come from. Um, well, let's not go there. Like let's go to you know the year before it happened. We didn't even know a war was going to happen. And then let's clear emotions from this event. Let's we can talk about this event without being in there, without even seeing it, without being emotionally attached to it. So I find uh, a lot of these. Um, you know, uh, uh, timeline therapy is probably my favourite um, thing to take people through because it is just it is so effective, and we can um, we can change someone's you know emotions and psyche by doing something like timeline very very quickly without um, putting them through talk therapy. And talk ther therapy, I think, is very very important. And I do a lot of talk therapy with a lot of people who um, and who you know who can successfully help each other and my clients just by talking but um but doing something like a timeline therapy for something that's really uh, traumatic that is difficult to talk about um, um post-traumatic stress disorder for example timeline therapy is really a tech great technique to use so many questions and i unfortunately don't have enough time to ask them but uh, the last question i'll ask which yes. is probably like um something that probably a lot of people uh you know might, might ask uh, when we started talking this podcast is mm -hmm. what exactly is a life coach to the person who's un uneducated on it yeah well i think um you know that people or why would someone go see a life coach uh, so life gets really stressful and sometimes things happen that are unfair and um you know, not right, and we feel very uncomfortable. And I think, especially this day and age, um, you know, living the nine to five and um, sitting in chairs all day, and you know, we're, we're humans. We're not necessarily built to live the lives we're living, and it's just the way it is now. And it it's, can be very beautiful for us, but unnatural for us. And life stresses, rent, money, etc. And uh, you know, a life coach is just uh, someone. I got hired as a life coach um, many years ago, and they called me a life coach because it was great for um, the people that I was seeing. Uh, and 
it's just it's just another word for calling someone a therapist. But um, you know, with life coaching, you know, like like I said earlier, people don't need to wait until they're in a really really difficult situation to go get therapy. You know, we can if we speak to someone, even when we're feeling good or on on the edge of you know something really stressful, and we, there are two ways that we can go. And sometimes we need help to go in the more positive way to not just keep our heads above water, but to you know, start creating and going a certain direction. And um, someone who's a life coach um, is able to help us do that. Like I'm, I'm not a therapist, I'm a hypnotherapist. I love doing all these beautiful techniques, but sometimes people just need a professional's perspective that um, you know cares about them, that can be very diplomatic and you know give them advice, give them tools. Because there's one thing about helping someone with their sadness or with their anger. But then what do we do in day-to-day life? Well, we can apply it by doing this, and here are some tools if you ever feel yourself getting sad again. This is what you can do. Or, yeah, so it's just um, getting a professional's perspective um, to help our lives be easier, better, less stressful. I love it. (laughs) Thank you very much for coming on today, Anita. If people wanted to, um, and I'm sorry that we've got to cut it short, uh, if you wanted to find out, I'll definitely, also before I say that, I will definitely have you back on because oh, I have lots more questions for you. You're so uh, nice, thank you. <laughs> if people uh, wanted to get in touch with you, how can they do so? Mm-hmm. Well, I do, um, my uh, business or work, it's called Keep Moving Forward. Uh, my name is Anita Kanyani. Uh, I think the best place to find me is on Instagram. But, you know, I have LinkedIn, I have Facebook. Uh, uh, What's your uh, Instagram handle? Uh, it's keep moving forward underscore then Anita Panyani P A G N A N I and um, come say hi. Awesome. <laughs> and thank you so much for having me, Raul. You're so you're so awesome. I'm so happy to be here. Thank, thank you me. very much. I love your energy, Anita. And um, like I said, we'll definitely um, have you back on the podcast. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you.